You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Let's remain standing as we open up in prayer before we open up the Word of God. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for a glimpse of your glorious greatness that you allowed us to see through the power of your Word and the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our everything, who saved us from our sins and sustains us until the day we meet you. And through him, we're going to be glorified one day in your presence. Thank you, Father, for this church family and all you're doing in us and all you're doing through us. Uh, we don't take these things for granted, God. We know that every, everything that happens in here is only because of you and your mercy and your grace upon us. Thank you, God, for allowing us the privilege of knowing each other and doing life together and seeing you so powerfully at work in our midst. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have each week to worship our whole, with our whole hearts and and. Let it go for Jesus. Thank you, God, for the word you've given us. We can open and see you and learn from you and, and grow closer to you. God, I pray this morning as we open up your holy scriptures that you would speak to us so clearly that you draw us near and you'd help us, Lord, engage with you, the living God. Be upon us now, God. I can't do this without you. We can't do this without you. I can't preach this without you, God. Our people can't hear this without you helping us. So work as only you can, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning, and you can turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145. Psalm chapter 145. The ushers are coming down the aisles. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up, and they'd be more than glad to uh, give you uh, the living act of Word of God to follow along. Psalm 145. I thought it was only appropriate as we kind of did our year-end celebration, ministry year-end from June to from uh, September to June, just like a school year is kind of our ministry year, just as we celebrate all that was God, God is doing, just to stop and, and really put our thoughts and our worship and our praise to God for all that He is doing. So often, I think, in our Christian lives, we can get running too fast. We run, run, run. We get so busy, we forget to stop and thank God for what he is doing. You ever find that? Or, or sometimes we even get so um, focused on what God hasn't done that we forget to think about what God has done uh, in our lives and in our church. Or we get so busy doing things for God that we lose sight of all that God has accomplished by him and for him and through him. And so we're just going to stop and worship this morning. We have reason to worship no matter what season of life you are. We have reason to worship God today. Amen? We have reason to worship God today. Worship is the appropriate response of our hearts to God. Worship is a thankfulness, and it's a natural result of seeing God and basking in what he is doing. In fact, worship is the most satisfying, soul-satisfying, life-giving aspect of our Christian faith. You know, I think we become so disciplined in everything else. We get study the word down. We get prayer down. We get, you know, serving down. We get giving down. We miss the most important aspect sometimes, simply stopping to worship the God that deserves all of our worship. If your Christian life becomes about just ask, 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 all God's going to be to you is a cosmic butler Serving all of your needs, you're going to miss his glory. If your Christian life becomes about do, 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 you know what you're going to find yourself? Exhausted 
and discouraged and wondering where the power of God is. You know where it all flows from? Our, our, our vibrancy and our life and, and, and what sets us apart from every other religion, really, is we are called to be, as Christians, first and foremost, worshipers. Worshippers, say it with me, of God Almighty. You ask you and I ask myself, how's that going today? How's that going? Even as I was preparing this sermon, I realized that I can get so busy serving God and serving you that I fail to stop and simply get my eyes on the glory and the wonder of God again. I don't think I'm the only one in that predicament. I just don't want us to get to that place as a church. We get so focused on what God has done and what God's going to do, we miss God. We miss God, we miss it all. So we're going to turn to Psalm 145 this morning and we're going to see what the proper posture of a Christian is and see where our motivation comes from. It comes from seeing God. Psalm 145, it says right at the top there, a song of praise of David. This is the last of David's psalms. It's the last one he wrote, so maybe at the end of his life. It's also the last of the acrostic psalms. The acrostic psalms are unique in that every verse or every group of verses starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in sequence. So 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. This, this psalm has 21 verses. Well, where did the other one go? For some reason in Greek literature, they leave the, the one vowel out, none. I don't know why, but they do. So don't argue with me. This is what happens, all right? And so 21 verses, but we're going to see here the theme of this. David's last psalm. The psalm that kind of transitions all the psalms to the hallelujah psalms, we see this as a theme. Great is the Lord. Simply put, the summary of this psalm is great is the Lord. Out of David's life, at the end of his life, you can almost picture him, a frail little old man, right? He's, he's writing, what do I say? The last song I write, what do I say? I simply say this, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord, and it's not an easy, if you know David's life, it wasn't just like he didn't have this wonderful life. Like, um, it's a wonderful life. It wasn't, it wasn't that. Some people you look at and you're like, I can see how they could pen great as a Lord. They've had, had the, golden, the golden handshake, the silver spoon, right? David wasn't one of those guys. Remember the story of David? What was David's story? He was like a little shepherd boy, nobody in the fields, stinky little sheep. He actually rose to prominence in between all of that. What did he do? He, he was the harpist for, for the king. He killed Goliath. That probably was the pinnacle of his life, right? Ended up because of his, his fame. He married the king's daughter. Probably not a bad gig. Became best friend of the king's son, but then this, as he became king, took over the throne. I think it might have all gone to his head because you found him. What was he doing next? He was like committing adultery, making a pretty serious mistake. And then, then he had the Bathsheba's husband killed, committed murder, and Saul was out to get him. And then because of his sin, because of his sin, his firstborn, one of his sons, sorry, not his firstborn, one of his sons died. He buried a son. Can't even imagine that. And then from bearing a son, um, then running away from Saul for seven years, his son turned on him, Absalom, pursued. It wasn't an easy life. It wasn't like, oh, I can see how he put great as our God. Kind of got restored at the end of his life. Then he made him another major gaffe. Remember God said, don't count the people. It's pride. What did he do? He counted the people. God said, no, silly, you missed it. 70,000 Israelites died because of that. But through it all, he kept little song boy, I think we call him David. We have a song boy, David. Here's the real song boy, David. David's writing real life songs that speak to the depths of our hearts because he's such an imperfect guy. And yet through all the ups and the downs and the all arounds, his theme throughout all these songs is simply God is great. God is great. At the end of his life, what did God say? He was a man after my own heart. Why? Because David was a good man? No way. Why was it? 
because God was so faithful to him. And you know what? I think God's been as faithful to us and will be as faithful to us in our church. And so as David worships, let's worship with him. Let me read this for you as you think about your own heart and your own life. A regular guy who served a radical God, regular people serving a radical God. Here's what Psalm 145 says. I'm going to read this, and we're not going to go verse by verse today, word by word, just because you will be here till 5 o'clock, and you don't want that. So I'm going to read it, and we're just going to pick out some highlights here and, and get our eyes fixed on Jesus. Psalm 145, great is the Lord. Listen to this. Psalm of David. I'll extol, you, I'll extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness, his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I'll declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to, to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is gracious in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Powerful, isn't it? First half of this really just focuses on the glory of God. The second half of this focuses on how God works so mightily in our lives. And so, first of all, we just want to start with this understanding um, as the psalmist did, think of this, this is the psalmist King David. And what does he say, first line? I will extol you, my God and King. This is the king giving homage to the king. Oh, but David's the king. No, David's not the king. God's the king. I will extol you, I will worship you, my God and my king. So personal, so real, so intimate. And I'll bless your name forever and ever. Every day, he says, I'll bless your name and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Here's three sub-points to the main point. The main point is simply this. My God is the greatest or my king is the greatest. Here's this first sub-point. My soul must be captivated by God. 
As David writes this, you catch this, this glimpse of the fact that he is determined that no matter what happens in his life, his soul is going to be captivated with the greatness of his God. Notice the words here. He's, I will extol you. I will bless your name. Every day I will. You know what he's basically saying here? It's a celebration for sure. It's a time of rejoicing. He's saying, you know what? I will is a sign of like, this is what I'm committed to. I pledge my allegiance to you, O oh God. I will. Do you realize that life is about a series of choices? Every day you have choices you make. You choose to get up in the morning, at what time you choose what to wear, what to eat, uh, how you're going to invest your time, where you're going to put your money, who you're going to hang out with, who you're not going to hang out with. Everything's about choices. You know, the greatest choice you can ever make in your life, which is also a choice, is to spend your energies exalting and worshiping God. This is the duty and the delight of God's people is what David's reminding us. Our greatest duty, our greatest delight is worship. Every day the greatest thing you do in your life is not something for God. It's stopping to worship God. Worship is not contingent on our moods or the events of our lives or what others will say. Worship is making a deliberate choice every day that when I'm going through life, I'm not going to keep my hands in my pockets. I'm going to lift them to the heavens. It's a deliberate, deliberate choice every day. That I'm going to be running through this life. I'm not just going to be looking straight ahead. I'm going to pause every day to not just look straight ahead, not just look all around, but pause and simply look up. I'm going to choose my life to live my life in such a way that I'm not just going to keep standing like I'm the king of the castle. I'm every day going to get on my knees and bow to the one who truly is. This is really the point of most of David's psalms. He's trying to help us see the glory and the wonder of just worshiping God. How often do we make the Christian life about everything else but that? But yet how powerful it is when we just stop to worship God. Look at some of the words that David uses here. He's, he's saying worship in every way he can possibly think of. You know when you're a parent, you're trying to scold your kids or something, and you're trying to tell them something, you're trying to use, say the same thing in 45 different ways to make them get it? Here's what David says. He's like, you guys got to get this. This is what your life revolves around. This is everything to you. Look what he says. He says, I'll, you know, I'll extol the Lord. Verse one, to extol means to tell how great God is. Bless the Lord, verses one, two, 10, and 21. To bless is to speak well of God and his generosity to us. Isn't that backwards? Doesn't God bless us? How do we bless God? We bless God by telling everybody else how good God is. That brings a smile to his heart. Look at another word in verse 2, 3, and 21. Praise the Lord. What does praise mean? To actually glorify God for his magnificent qualities. Verse 4, to commend. Commend is to speak highly of God. Declare God. Meditate on God. Speak of God. Put forth. Sing aloud. Give thanks. Worship is not an hour in church. It's a daily attitude of our hearts. This is where our life becomes alive as believers. This is what creation does. This is what we were created to do, to worship God. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about worship to help you understand the significance of worship. I pray, I'm not just telling you stuff. I pray you're catching it as I preach and I'm going to show you a glimpse of God that will help you hopefully in a minute get it in a greater way. But here's what Spurgeon says. Doth not all nature around me praise God? If I were silent, I should be an exception to the universe. 
Doth not the thunder praise him as it rolls like drums in the march of the God of the armies? Do not the mountains praise him when the woods upon their summits wave in adoration? Doth not the lightning write his name in letters of fire? Hath not the whole earth a voice? And shall I, can I, ever possibly be silent? Worship isn't something we should have to try to do as believers. It's what we're created to do, what wells up within us as we see the grandeur and the splendor of God. I get it. Easy seasons, a little easier to worship. Hard seasons is difficult. But do you realize that in every season, this is applicable to us? Good seasons, where does your good come from? It comes from God. Hard seasons, there is no good. There is good in every hard season. Where does that come from? The same place. James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, who is never changing. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what you're going through, our church can be in a good place, you can be in a tough place. Guess what? We have reason to worship together because we have a God of the universe who is king forever and who is with us. Acts 17, uh, verse uh, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. In God, we have our everything. You are, because you're here this morning and you're alive this morning, you have reason to praise God. Worship is a daily reflection. Notice how he says, every day. Every single day, it's a daily reflection of our hearts. Every day we should find reason to worship and praise. Most days I think we get up with the task at hand and the grumpiness of what didn't go well yesterday and the burden of today. And yet, think of how your life would change if you stopped at the beginning of your day just to stop to worship God. If you study the history of this psalm, the Jewish people, their practice was to recite this twice in the morning and once in the evening. Think of how your day would change, how your perspective would change, how your whole trajectory of your life would change if you stopped to remember like Psalm 145 every day. Worship along with your... Bible study and your prayers. What about worship? We don't just come to God to, for him to tell us stuff, to get the answers to our questions. We come to God to worship. We don't just pray so that God will do whatever we want. We pray so we'll hear God's voice and see God's glory. Every day, do you have time to worship the Lord? If you don't have time to worship the Lord, you're missing the full essence of the Christian life. You're missing the full joy of what God has created you to do. I encourage you every day to spend time worshiping. You worship here with our, your church family once a week. What about having a little worship fest at your own home once a week with your family? Gather around, not the word, but gather around, turn some music on, some worship music. Let's just worship the Lord today and celebrate his goodness to us. It's important. You know why? Here's what worship does. Worship gives God the credit for what he is due. Extolling the Lord frees your soul from self-absorption and moves you to God-exaltation. Praise reminds you who's in charge. Prayer, praise really cures all of what ails you. It helps you look beyond yourself into the one who is all-powerful. Worship lifts your soul to the heights of heaven like nothing else. There's nothing more satisfying than praise and worship. David is commending this to us. I commend this to us. I need to hear this more often than not. Here's three powerful words we need to hear often coming off of our lips to the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Even today, right now, think of all the reasons you have to be thankful. Think of all the reasons you have to be thankful. As they run through your head, you can even write them on the side of your notes as I'm preaching. 
And let your heart be consumed with those things rather than the unanswered prayer and the things you want God to do. Let's think about all the things God has done and is doing. Here's the greatest reason we have to worship, according to Psalm 145. Here's the greatest reason. It's not even what God's going to do for us or what he has done for us. It's this, that my king reigns supreme. Greatest reason we all have to worship today is because we have a God and we have a king and his name reigns supreme. This word great, we kind of don't get the full significance of it, do we? Oh yeah, God is great for sure, just like my pizza last night was pretty great. And yeah, great encompasses so much more than that great. Uh, apparently no one in first service ever heard this song, so maybe you guys haven't either, but remember that song in French class when you were a kid, Telefrancais? Do you guys remember? Anyone remember Telefrancais? Thank you. First service was like, you guys are nuts. You're nuts. You know, when they'd be like, Telefrancais, Telefrancais, they'd be like, excellent, magnifique, sensational, formidable. Remember those? <laughs> Supposed to like fire you up for French? We use the word great, right? Like we're like, oh, God is great. But like God's greater than great. God is awesome. God is formidable. God is sensational. God is magnifique. God is excellent, right? Just remember that for a minute as we, as we study the word and as we see our God. God is greater than the sum of everything else. When it says here that God is king, my God and my king, you know what he really means? It means that, that God is preeminent over everything. He's preeminent over the cosmos, the universe. Here's how the globe was put in place. God, <laughs> how does it sit there? God himself holds it there. God is God over the cosmos. Who put the stars in place? God did. God is God over all creation. Who came up with all these different variations of trees and species and all these things that like, the world works so, so well? Who did, who did all that? Who sustains all that? God does himself. God is king. God is king over cosmos and creation. He's king over his own community. God is king over his people. But in a special way, in an intimate way, there's a personal ownership about my king who rules the universe and my life. If we had brands stamped on us like t-shirts sometimes do, ours would say this, property of the king. This is who you are, property of the king. And look at the characteristics of the king. This is really verses 4 right to verse 13. Just unpacks for us characteristics of the king. Look at his greatness. Verse 3, his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. You, you, you can try and describe God's greatness, but you can't fully articulate it. You try and think about it, you can't comprehend it. The songs we sing don't even totally captivate it. God's greatness. We can't fully grasp the limit of his power, the extent of his goodness, the magnitude of his love. His ways are unsearchable. His thoughts are on higher than my thoughts. Here's what Francis Chan says about our God. You can't exaggerate God. Did you think you're trying to one-up your buddy? You can't one-up your stories about God because that's how great he is. Psalm 86, verses 8 to 10, tells you this about your God. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. See, in our world today, everyone's trying to be God, right? Everyone's trying to have their own little niche, and they're going to be unique, and they're going to be the best, and no one's going to come close. And some maybe do. You got Gretzky, you got Jordan, you got some of these guys who are, well, they're the best of the best of the best. Well, you know, when it comes to the best of the best of the best, their records are always broken, right? 
They always end up getting old and quitting the sport. God is like here forever and ever. He's in a category all by himself. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, God lives in glorious splendor, breathtaking beauty that is. You ever seen a rainbow after the storm? You're caught with a sense of like, you ever seen the pink sky at night over the mountains? And you're looking at the people with you and you're like, blah, blah, blah. Glorious splendor means that's a glimpse. That's a glimpse. That's a glimpse that God has allowed us to see the beauty of who he is. He's infinitely strong. He's not just gloriously splendor. He's infinitely strong. Look at verses 6 and 11. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Take the strongest men of the world. You know, the ones that pull the semis. and They're all the big, Put them with the strongest world powers. You got Putin and Trump and that guy from Korea. Put the strongest armies together. And you, you're, we're going to go after God. We're going to get him. He's going to sit there. He's like, you kidding me? It's like a little chihuahua coming after me. God is might in his awesome power. You know how we see a glimpse of God's power? Every time there's an earthquake, you know what God's doing? He's like this. He's like, hey, guys, remember? I'm the all-powerful one. Takes a little globe and shakes it. Every time we see the devastation of a hurricane, we think devastation. You know what that is? It's God going like, hey, want to remember how powerful I am? Your God is all-powerful and might. His works are unspeakable. Not only for his people, but for us. Think of the way God's worked in the world. He's also notoriously famous. Look at verse 7. They shall pour out the fame of your abundant goodness. God is famous. People swear by his name as the highest authority. He's revered above all people. He is the only one who can kill the body and the soul. God is famous. You can try and wipe the name of God off this planet, but get what? guess what? You're never going to be able to. The fame of the name of God is going to reign forever. Look at verse 9, 7 and 9. They shall pour the fame of your abundant goodness. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. God is perfectly good. There's not an evil part of God. He is pure. He is holy. There's never, never wakes up with a sour attitude or wrong motive in his heart. Every word he speaks, every decision he makes, every action he takes, it's perfect. doesn't make mistakes. God is good all the time and? No, like for real. Like say it like you mean it. I'm getting into this. You're like, and all the time. God is good. Really, Eeyore, really? God is good all the time? Absolutely he is. It's what makes God God. What's the greatest part about God's goodness? It says it right here. His grace and his mercy. Here's what his grace is. He gives us what we don't deserve, his mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. Wicked sinners like us don't deserve anything from God. And he pours his love and favor upon us. What do we deserve? Hell. What does he give us? Heaven. God is good. Instead of being quick to drop the gavel of judgment, he's quick to give us a pardon when we repent. Every one of us should be like, Guilty! he's waiting come on repent come on repent he's waiting forgive me God yes here's your pardon instead of rightfully blowing his lid in anger he instead patiently 
waits to give us another shot. God loves you and I and his people in ways we can't even imagine. Verse 13. Verse 13, look at this one. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain, your dominion endures throughout all generations. Here's our God. Here's our God. There's no four-year term on God's reign. It's not like we got like, oh, four years is coming up. Who's going to be next? Oh, I hope God gets in. I hope they vote him in. No way. Who's going to be king in four years? God. Who's going to be king in 40 years? Same God. Who's going to be king in 400 years and 4,000 years and 4 million years and 4 billion years? Who's going to be king for all of eternity? God is. Pastor's giving you enough to worship God about yet? Have you catching a sense of, like I said, I don't, want you, I don't want to tell you to worship God. I want to show you why you need to worship God, why we should worship God. Are you getting a sense of that at this point? God is awesome. Awesome God, awe-inspiring God, amazing God. This is the God we serve. If you can get your heart into that place this morning, let me give you some words of John Piper which help us see the greatness of God in a different way. He says this, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. The only application I have for this sermon is simply this, worship God. That's it. Do you realize that God is a is greater than the sum of all of your dreams and all of your desires and all of your hopes and all of your bank accounts and, and all of your struggles even and your discouragements. God is greater than everything. Your worst, your worst nightmare, your, your, God is greater than everything. It does God's people well just to stop and be still and know that he is God, Psalm 4610. Stop and be still. When was the last time you were still enough to let these truths not just permeate your mind, but sink into your soul and explode your soul in worship. Psalm 86 tells us we're supposed to worship God with our whole hearts. When was the last time you just stopped to recognize God for who God is, and, and you've allowed the truths of who he is to, to, to penetrate your heart in a way that, man, you're overflowing, so that tears are flowing in awe and gratitude and worship, and you just can't stop being consumed with God because you realize when you're consumed with God, you have everything you've ever longed for. been a while maybe this maybe this day maybe sunday night the best thing you can do is just sit with god and be in awe of god again maybe this week is the week that you get your priorities straight and you don't just start using god for what he can do for you you stop and worship god for who he already is it's where life becomes alive for believers and as we see his grandeur and ponder his beauty and set our minds on things above the last part of this from 14 to 21 is reason to worship God because his acts are unparalleled. We're called to worship. We're called to worship God for who he is. We worship God also because his acts are unparalleled. Here's David recounting all the things that God has done in his life. He's got a story to tell. He's got skeletons in his closet. He's really got no reason to be in the Bible at all, not to mention play a prominent role yet. Why is David even in the Bible? Because David is so good? No way. It's because God is so great. Because God has been so faithful to him. So as he gets into the marvelous works, he talks about the works and the works and the works. And yes, God has done great things for his people for sure. I love studying the scriptures and, and seeing all the great things God does for his people. Don't you? 
Noah's Ark and the exodus from, you know, from Pharaoh in Egypt. And you see Daniel in the lions. And you know these stories, right? And Gideon calling fire from heaven and all those stories. Like, man, God stepped up and God's people going to get destroyed. But God steps up and says, you're not going to destroy my people now. Killing the enemy. Like God acts in significant ways for his people. Greatest way God's ever acts? acted for us, for his people, Jesus Christ on the cross. Your sin has destined you for that pit, and that pit's called hell, and I'm going to rescue you from that today. I'm going to send my own son to bear the burden for you to sit in your place to take the penalty of your sin. God's been doing righteous acts for his people throughout all of history. And he continues to today, not just for his people as a whole, but individually as well. This is David giving account for his individual Acts of God that he's seen in God's life, in his life. Let's look at these and then see how they apply to our lives as well. You have reason to praise God because of who he is, but I want you for the rest of this sermon to think about all the reasons you have to praise him for what he is doing in your life and in our church today. God's just not a one and done. I'm going to show you my glory and then you're on your own for the rest of your life. He continually reveals himself to us and works in our lives. His works are continuous Start at the end of verse 13. The Lord is faithful in all his works. The same works that God did in God's people in the Bible, he still does today in his people. And kind in all his words. Look at verse 14. The Lord holds me up. This is David speaking. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Can you imagine David at this point? Can you imagine all the times David needed lifting up? They figure about seven years he was on the run from Saul, like, like hiding around corners and scrounging for food. And imagine many lonely nights. He's like, I, just don't wake me up in the morning, God. I'm done. I don't know where I'm going to go next. I don't know what I'm going to do. And yet, yet every time God lifted him up, every time the enemy was closing in, God held him up. Every time he wanted to shrink back, God kept him moving forward. God lifts me up. David says, look what else he says, God looks after my needs. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you. Everybody looks to God and you give them the food in their due season. Again, we think we have needs. Oh my goodness, I've never been in a place where I don't know where my next meal's coming from where I'm scrounging like David was. Remember, he's even playing crazy to get a loaf of bread at times, right? That's the urgency of that. What does he say? Like, hey, seven years on the run, and guess what? I didn't lack food once. Why? Because God was so good to him. Somehow he made it through by God's greatness. Look at this. He satisfies my deepest longing, verses 16 and verse 19. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He says it again in verse 19. It must mean he really means it, right? Oh, yeah, God, don't forget you've fulfilled the desire of all those who fear you. What do you think the deepest longings of David's soul were? I think if I'm him, it'd be like, God, give my heart peace. Everyone's trying to kill me. I lost my kid. The other one's trying to come after me. Just give me peace. Longing of his heart, God gave him that peace. Another longing of David's heart, I'm all alone. Every night's another night, all by myself. What do I desire the most in that point? Someone, anyone to love me and be loved and to be able to love God. God, I'll give you that desire. It's found in me. What about anxiety? I'm sure David went through some anxiety and down days. We clearly know he went through down days as far as the Psalms tell us. He was up and down like a yo-yo some days. God, would you give me joy today? My ultimate desire is for joy. God's like, yes, I will be that for you. 
He fulfills the desire of every heart. Look at verse 17 as well. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He says it again. He's, he's good. It says earlier he's righteous. You know what this means? It means he does me right every single time. How does God work in your life? He does you right every single time. Well, no, he doesn't. Do you not know what I've gone through and how I've lost this and that's been so hard? And I think David's a guy who could say that he does right by you every time. He's got this little picture of his baby infant son close to his heart. God, you do right to me every time. As he thinks about his best friend who he hasn't had fellowship with in years. God, you do right to me every time. He's about the last meal that probably wasn't that great. God, you do right to me every time. God does right every time to his people. David's backwards is always God's forwards. All the wrongs ended up turning out to be the rights because God had a plan for his life. He would see God and God reveals glory through him. And look at verse 18. There's another reason why we worship God, why David worshiped God. The Lord is near to all who call on him. God's always within arm's reach. He's within earshot. God's always close. Well, God's lost me, forgotten me forever now. He's, he's got in the car and he left. He's gone, he's halfway home. No, he's not, he's right beside. You know, the greatest thing David ever claimed was that God was with him and he wasn't far from him. Even in his sin, even in his shame, even his lowest, God was still there. Verse 19, he comes to my rescue. How many times did David need rescuing? How many times did David need God to step in for him? It's over, God, this time for sure. No, it's not. I got your back. Absalom and Saul and in the desert, wild animals and sun by day and moon by night. God rescued him. Verse 20, God preserved him. The Lord preserves all who key, love him. You're here today and you're like, oh, I don't even care about God. Well, then don't count on these things. God preserves all those who love him, who bow to him and call him Lord and Savior, but the wicked he'll destroy forever. The Lord preserves them. Think of David. Like every step of the way, God guided and God guarded him, and his stronghold held him. From this text, we see David worshiping God. Why? Because God is his greatest gift. Oftentimes we worship God for all the gifts he gives us. Do we stop and realize that God is our greatest gift? God is our greatest gift. If you look at all the things that are on the screen about David, you and I can stop and think about even this past year, this has been our experience with God, is it not? Your own life, can you not say that God has held you up and God has looked after your every need and God satisfied your deepest longing? He's always done right by you. He's always never been far off. He rescues me continually. He defends my life forever. This is every believer's reality. This gives us reason to praise. Sure, we praise God for all the big acts he does, but we also praise God for the daily little acts of goodness and kindness he does in our lives to reveal his glory to us. Think about this. Think about all the times God has held you up over the past year. Come on, think about it. If you're like, he hasn't held me up, I've held myself up, then you've been mistaken. You thought you've been holding yourself up? He's had you by the back of the collar holding you up and you didn't even realize it. Man, I can think of times in my own life when it's been like, I, I can't do it anymore, God. Like, I, I'm so tired, I'm just gonna fall over. I can't do another day. I'm so discouraged. I need something to like give me a pickup. I can't do it. 
And yet God holds us up every single day. We went on a boat not too long ago with our little son, with our family, and our little son, Nicholas, it was a long day for him. And so he's sitting in that boat, and you could see him in his big old life jacket, you know, it's like up to here on him, and he's just sitting there, his eyes wide, and he just starts falling asleep, you know. Every once in a while, I just kind of tap his life jacket. Hey, buddy, stay with us, stay with us. And so as I was driving the boat, I looked back once, and he was doing this. He's like, and I reached out and grabbed him real quick, and like, pulled him back up. He was like, thank you, daddy. And I was like, Ruth, put your hand on his back. And so the rest of the boat ride, Ruth went with her hand on his back, hand on his back. This is what God's done to you all year long. You're going to keel over. He picks you up, and then he just puts his hand gently on your back to keep you from falling. This is the Lord's grace to you. Think about how many times God has looked after your every need. You're here today. You have a full belly. You have breath in your lungs. Who's the result of that? It's God. Well, for some of you, there's been times in this past year, like, I don't know where my next meal's coming from, my paycheck, I don't know. Job situation's been scarce, and it's been hard, and it's tighter than you would have liked. You're like, who's going to provide? Who's provided for you every time? God has at just the right time. God has. God's provided for us in Canada more abundantly than anywhere else in the world, I think. I did a quick study this week, and do you realize on one webpage about global richness, it says if you make $32,400 a year, your income is among the top 1% in the world. What? But God doesn't provide for me. He's provided for us every step of the way. God satisfied your deepest longing. Your deepest longings are no different than mine. They're no different than David's. What's your deepest longing? It's the, it's the same thing. You, you want to have people love you. You want to not be alone. You don't want to have anxiety. You want to have peace. Think of all the times that God has given you the longings of your souls. You thought it was going to be in your new truck or whatever you're going to get, and you realize that it's empty too. It's only in the Lord. Believe it or not, God's always done right by your life as well. It doesn't feel like that sometimes, does it? It hurts, it's hard, and it's confusing. But when you get to the end, like David, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I didn't see it, I didn't see it, but now I see it. It's been so good, it's been so right. Thank you, Father. So often we look at our lives like we're going through those little log rides at the amusement parks and all we can see is the next turn and the next hill and the next down. But then you get to the top of that great big one and you look over the whole course like, oh, that's where I've been. Oh, that's where I'm going. This is cool. God's been leading and guiding. He's done right in your life every time with the purposes of helping you get to the point where you see him clearly and you stop striving and start worshiping and your only goal in life becomes, I just need to know my God more. I just need to be content continually tight with my Lord. He's also never been far off. He's never been far off. We live in a little house, and so my kids sometimes get in their little huddles, and they think they're whispering, and we can't hear. Well, my wife was a teacher for years. She hears everything. I'm just an obsessive dad, so I do too, and I got big ears, so I, it's like a solar system. <laughs> And they whisper away, and they think that they've gotten this little quiet place away from us. They come up going, what are you guys doing? You know what they're doing. They're like, where did you come from? I'm always close by, son. Don't fool yourself, I'm always close by. He's never far off. Think of how many times in the middle of the night you're like, oh, God, please. What's he done? He's met you there. He's been there for you. He's never far off. What about this one? God rescues me continually. I don't know how we've got to this place as Christians, but Christians somehow think that salvation is a one-time deal. It is, but it's a one-time deal that you, you accept Christ. Now you don't need him the rest of your life. Baloney. 
You need him to become saved for sure. That I, I need a savior. It's Jesus. But then how many times can you think over the last year or two years where God's rescued you again? God's not a one-time rescuer. He rescues us over and over and over and over and over and over again. How many times has God rescued you this year? There's reason to praise God, isn't it? I've sinned again, and oh my goodness, this time it's ruined everything forever. Only to find that actually it hasn't ruined everything forever because God came to your rescue. I found myself in such hard circumstances, and I don't know how I got here, and it's not my fault, but I, this time I'm doomed, it's over. And God's like, it's not over, child. Lift your eyes to the heavens. I will rescue you yet again. Think of how many times God has rescued you and you thought you missed the bus only to see it coming around the corner again to pick you up. This is your God. He preserves you until the very end. You have nothing to worry about getting to the end. You, we fight and we claw our way. We think we're fighting and clawing away to the end and, and we got to make it. We got to stand strong. God's strong enough to get us to the end no matter where we, where we end up in life. God's going to preserve you because he's that good. You know, what will happen in your life is only what God ordains. Will you get to the finish line? Absolutely. Because you're strong? Absolutely not. Because God is strong. It says in Psalms, the Psalms often it says that God is our stronghold. He's our stronghold. Lord, he, he takes us from this whole journey of life and he gets us to the end. What's stronghold mean? I kind of picture this, this, this refuge, like a little cliff where I kind of run into or a strong tower. Maybe... Stronghold, I get the better impression. Stronghold is like God's got a stronghold on my life. Like stronghold, like give me your right hand, son. We're doing this together and I'm not letting go. You can let go all you want, but I'm not letting go. You can be assured of that. A stronghold of God that'll get you to the very end. He'll preserve you. He is real. His faithfulness endures forever. He'll never let you go. He will never let you down. Even Satan cannot rip you out of the grasp of God's hand if you're saved. That's John 10. But he's scary and he's strong and he feels it doesn't matter. God's got you. If you've got nothing else to praise God about, that's a great place to start. But it's not just your life this has all been true in. Think about our church this past year. Man, I marvel at how God's been so gracious to us as a church. This church is only afloat because of God. You realize that, right? Don't ever believe anything other than that. This church is afloat because of God. Every storm that's come our way, God's been our anchor. So we give you the update of all the good things that's happened. There's been a lot of storms along the path too, but guess what? God's been our anchor every single time. Every turn that we have aimed to make, God has been our guide in our church. He's guided us. He's been there for us. Every enemy that we've had, and we've had enemies, trust me, God has been our protector Every salvation and baptism and marriage restoration and action of sin being broken, God has been the author of those. Every time we have come up against the wall of opposition, God has either ripped it down or given us the strength to get over it or given us a way around it. God has been our everything in our church. Amen? We only exist because of God. There's much to rejoice in today. Amen? Much to rejoice in for every single person in this room today. But we have a choice. Am I going to choose to rejoice 
We're going to go on as life as normal. I have proposed to you that the application for this is simply just worship all, all week long. Every day, aim to worship greater than the day you did before. This week, as you get your Bible open, get in your time with the Lord, make worship a key component of that and just say, I just want to fix my eyes on Jesus again. I just want to the glory of God again and stop asking for a while, stop asking for a while, start basking for a while in the presence of God. And you'll see how God changes your life for his glory and for your good. I want to end with this, Isaiah chapter 41. As I was studying this text and thinking about David's life and thinking about my own life, this, this passage really kind of sums it up on why we can worship our God this morning. I want to leave you with this as the worship team comes to lead us in our final song. Isaiah 41, verses 9 to 10. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Personalize this. You, put your name in there, are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. In other words, give you all you need. I will help you, but not make you do it on your own. And I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is our King, God Himself, who promises us, promises us this. He is King. He is awesome. And He's ours. Why don't you stand with me as I close in prayer, then we'll be ready to be in the posture of worship and let your hearts just explode in worship for all that God is, all that he's done in our church and in your life and all that he's going to do in the future. Let's pray. God, thank you for this picture of who you are from Psalm 145. God, I pray this morning that you drive these truths deep into every heart here. Father, for those here that can't see you at all, would you open their eyes this morning to see the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And may you cause their mouths to drop open in awe of you. Lord, for those that are here who have seen a glimpse of you but caught up with worldly things and other things, oh God, would you cause them to see how futile and empty they are and help them to turn their eyes back on you. Give them, Lord, glimpses of your glory all week long that they would long for you more than anything else. Father, for those that are actively living and walking in this, oh God, would you stir them to greater affection for Jesus Christ? Would you help them see ever fresh and ever new the, the power and the glory and the splendor of who you are? Would you help us, God, be captivated, not by asking you for things and what you can do for us, not by doing things for you and seeing results, but would we be captivated by you and you alone, oh God? Would you keep us there, not just today, but this week? And this month, and in the summer, may we not close our eyes to you, but open them wider, that we might see the greatness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.